brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. At Highland, we're all about celebrating little wins and little ways to innovate digital processes. There's no customer pain point too small for us to help with. Maybe that's why more than half of the Fortune 100 looks to Highland to connect their content and data, improve processes, and turn little efficiencies into big wins for their customers and clients. Highland, intelligent content solutions for innovators everywhere at highland.com. Arm's got a bone to pick with a certain percentage that was thrown out. So we're going to get into that. We're also going to talk about teams that have had disappointing off seasons, just teams that we expected to do a bit more that have done next to nothing. Or there are some teams that have done some stuff, but maybe it wasn't the stuff that we were expecting or, you know, maybe we don't like the moves, things like that. But this is, you know, post Christmas. I know Arm Layton and Peter Apple talked to you yesterday. Uh, let me be the last in the words of Chris Berman to wish you a very Merry Christmas. Uh, that's Aram. How was your Christmas, man? It was good. I was just uh, talking about that on the episode with Peter. It was cold uh, for Florida. Yeah, under 50, people lose their mind. Uh, so it was it was interesting to see first Christmas in a while where it was that cold. We had people over. Nobody stepped foot outside. Uh, you'd think it was like Chicago, uh, which speaking of, I, I know you were avoiding that, but you had a much warmer Christmas. I did. I was in San Juan. It was 84 degrees and sunny on Christmas, which was excellent. I know you have a jacket. Did you bring your jacket home? I assume not. No, no. Yeah, so did you I, just I refuse to ever bring a jacket to Florida. That'll never happen. No matter, I don't care if it's the Ice Age down here somehow. I will never bring a jacket to Florida. Well, because you don't need one. Like, does your mom own a jacket? <laughs> I don't know. It's a great question. Yeah. Never seen it. That's just something that crossed my mind. We're, we're going to talk about these, these disappointing off seasons. But first and foremost, you saw a tweet from John Heyman earlier today. And I think, you know, we oh, can you make name names. Well, listen, Heyman put it out. Um, We've been poking fun at a lot of the big reporters over the last two months saying teams have checked in on X, Y, or Z player. Um, You know, these teams appear to be front runners for these players. Like the (laughs) rumor buzzwords are excellent. And then Heyman took it a step further yesterday (laughs) when he said that the Mets have a 55% chance at signing Carlos Correa. And you just like, you felt the need. That was my breaking point. That was my, that, that did me in. That one did me in. Why? Because, because that would, (laughs) so 
I would have I would have accepted coin flip, right? That's saying up in the air could go either way at this point. I would have accepted a 50-50. To add that 5%, yeah. that 55%, oh, it's more likely than not that Correa will be a man. But first of all, it's just so arbitrary, right? 50-50 at the end of the day that you're just kind of hiding behind a, it could go either way. I'm not sure. To me, that's almost a cliche at this point, right? 50-50 is like a cliche. Yes. When you go specific to 55 that's where I'm like, okay, we are just doing anything in our power to try to make a non-story a story. Call it what it is. You have no idea what's happening with Carlos Correa right now. You know why John Heyman doesn't know? It's not an indictment on Heyman because the Mets don't know. Scott Boris doesn't know. Nobody knows what's going to happen right now. They're working it out. And I think when you hear the report of both sides motivated last week and that now it's 55% chance. Like I've just am very annoyed and disappointed in you know that this is one of the drawbacks of of the social media world, which I love what Twitter has done for sports in terms of you know quick info, uh, you yeah, know a access. lot of fun discourse. There's a lot of great access to it, but I think as a lot of major reporters have kind of come to realize, you can present a ton of nothing burgers that if you package it right, can get you just as many clicks as saying X player signed with X team, but you go through Jeff Passon's feed. Tell me how much you see X player or X team taking calls on Y player. Tell me how much you see that. You won't see it. You will see Jeff Passon tweeting this player signed, this player signed, or a very big story that needs to be unpacked. You don't see the rumors. And the reason why the Correa 55% thing got me is it came right on the heels of the Red Sox have been getting calls on Chris Sale. You click the story, but the Red Sox are not interested in trading Chris Sale. All of that fucking tells me is that their phone lines work, right? That's it. That's all that tells me is that they're able to receive calls. I don't give a shit if teams are calling. Teams do their due diligence on everybody. And the fact that we are, you know, kind of just making this so the standard of a report is so low now that anybody can now come and do it, right? You and I could make a bullshit report now almost any single day of the week. And if we have enough credibility to do it, it'll get play. And that's pretty much the only difference between us and some of the reporters right now that are reporting some of these nothing burgers is really that they've reported accurate things in the past. So now you can mix in some BS here and there. It's like mixing in some placebo pills with the actual medication, right? Uh, And you mix in the medication just enough that the placebo pills are going to be taken as, as actual medication as well. So, yeah, I've just kind of hit my breaking point on the uh, on the bullshit reporting and uh, just just had to uh, had to air it out a little bit. So thank you. Yeah, listen, I hear you, man. I, Jeff Passan, we're recording on Tuesday. Jeff Passan tweeted at 1.10 p.m. on Tuesday that Rich Hill and the Pirates were in agreement on a one-year $8 million deal. His last tweet before that was at 6.45 p.m. on December 23rd about Craig Kimbrell and the Phillies being in agreement on a one-year $10 million deal. There's no fluff here. It's wait. So rich. he missed the Chris Sale story. He missed the Sale story. He missed oh. that the Red Sox were fielding phone calls on Chris Sale. What Passon has tweeted in the last five days that are original to him: Rich Hill and the Pirates have agreed to a deal. Craig Kimbrell and the Phillies have agreed to a deal. Uh, the Varsho um, to Toronto trade with a couple of you know um, compounding tweets talking about. Moreno's going back and then Guriel's going back. And then before that, 
it was retweeting only about Conforto's contract details and that it was Will Myers and the Reds and that it was Danny Mendick and the Mets. Like it's that's reporting. That's only that's the deal. That is news reporting. Um, yeah, man. I mean, here's the thing. I find myself now in the Twitter blue era having huh. to go to somebody's bio and clicking on their name if they have a blue check to see if they are subscribed to Twitter blue or if they are somebody who should be taken seriously. And even the blue checks that that doesn't matter, dude. Twitter blue, it might not that doesn't matter. matter. Here's the thing is John Hammond's one of the best out there. And you still have to sift through his stories and and really try to figure out on your own what is actually a story and what it's not. Because here's the thing. John Heyman breaks some big time stuff, right? He is a phenomenal – uh, he's what? Massive stuff. Yeah, Massive stuff. Yeah, some of the biggest stuff. He's He's been a phenomenal reporter for a long time. He's he one, of, on the one of the best – He was on Correa and the Mets. Like he, yes. he was the one that broke that at like 3 a.m. He's one of the best in the biz with the big stories. That should be enough. Um, I think it's almost watering down, um, you know, a, a lot of what these guys are able to do. And it, it, it really it really makes me jaded because I almost take every story with a grain of salt unless it's this is a done deal. Um, and, and now if if I'm a fan of a team and somebody tweets out this team is the front runner. I think I feel worse about their, t- their chances. Like it seems every single time that X team is a front runner, they don't get him. They don't end up not getting him. The front runner never gets him. So yeah, I I just I'm just sick of that. Um, obviously, we, there's not much more to it in this off season now because most of the signings have been made, and and we're going to talk about uh, some of the teams that maybe didn't do that much, uh, which I'm excited about, and some of the teams that just didn't make the best signings. And maybe briefly touch on, you know, some that we considered. You know, you floated some teams. I played the devil's advocate. Um, and, you know, maybe we can even talk about that a little bit as to, you know, maybe why they didn't quite make the cut as the most disappointing teams this offseason. Uh, yeah. But there's been a few. There's definitely been a few. There's been a few. And my final thought on this is, you know, each talking head, each writing head, like each reporter or, you know, podcast host, talk show host, you know, anybody that has a microphone or a laptop that can push words out into the general public and baseball fans needs to make a decision, right? Are you in the business of generating clicks, generating views? Because if you are, you know, reporting that a team is fielding phone calls is good. But if you're in the business of just shooting your audience straight, then fielding phone calls does nothing for your audience. Yep. Yep. Uh, all right, let's talk about the disappointing teams here. And this will be, you know, relatively quick. These are just teams. And I, I started November 1, all transactions after November 1, because there were some transactions like a, you know, waiver claim in October or September. I'm not counting those. I'm not moving the needle. Off season forward. These are the teams that we expected to do more that didn't do much. And there are other teams that like did absolutely nothing. Like what did the Royals do? Um, they, they signed a pitcher, right? Didn't Kansas City sign a pitcher? Lyles. Jordan Lyles. Like, but Exciting. we weren't expecting Kansas City to do anything. So no, that's the thing. Is that you know, Kansas City has their core. You know, go a little putting... bit deeper than what they actually did. And, and we have a list of five. We've got the Rockies, the Orioles, the Red Sox, the Marlins, and the Giants. Let's go in that order. Let's start with the Rockies. The Rockies, since November 1, I compiled notable transactions on each team site. The Colorado Rockies 
traded Connor Joe to Pittsburgh for right-hander Nick Garcia. They signed Cole Tucker to a minor league deal. They signed right-hander Pierce Johnson to be in their bullpen. They traded Chad Smith to Oakland for Jeff Criswell. And I like Criswell, but he is a pitching prospect. They traded (laughs) Sam Hilliard to Atlanta for right-hander Dylan Spain. They re-signed right-hander Jose Urania. They claimed lefty Brent Suter off waivers from Milwaukee. And they traded shortstop Juan Brito to Cleveland for Nolan Jones, which was a good pickup. So there are some good small pickups here, but for a team that was apparently quote unquote, the front runner for Brandon Nimmo and was (laughs) in conversations for a lot of other guys, they kind of came up short this winter. Yeah. And the the tough thing with the Rockies is I like a lot of the small moves that they've made, right? A lot of those moves, as you alluded to, were were, were savvy moves. And those are the things that you do to complement some of the bigger moves. The thing with the Rockies that separates them from the Royals is, you know, the Rockies signed Chris Bryant last year, right? The Rockies have, have shown a desire to, to try to compete a little bit more in the near future. And we're supposedly in on Brandon Nemo. Yet we're going to go into this coming season with Jonathan Daza in center field and Randall Grichuk in the right field, most likely. Uh, that's not a good outfield, especially if Chris Bryant is banged up, who you know you're hoping is going to be healthy and be able to play. But Outside of that, I mean, that that's a rough outfield, right? You have a question mark in the middle infield, given that Brennan Rogers, you're waiting for him to put it together. Uh, I think Tovar is going to be awesome. I'm a big fan of his at shortstop, but that's a rookie that you're starting there. And then you just extended McMahon to third base. So Charlie Blackman is is your guy at DH. Like they, they, It's just a lot of status quo and a lot of complacency that I don't totally understand. The rotation doesn't get really any better. That, that, well, how did they get... Uh, Jose Urania, that was a, a free agent signing, right? Or, or when did they pick up Urania? It was a mid-season thing, man. That was a mid-season thing? Yeah. So, like, th- they don't do anything to address the rotation. They don't do anything to address the outfield. They're going to count on a rookie, though I love him, is like Ezekiel Tovar at shortstop. Yeah. And they're just going to slide Rodgers over to second base, who is unproven. So, to me, this is, this is a team that's not serious. And, and that's what's confusing is I feel like the Rockies, to a degree – seem to just almost tease you with the idea of being competitive. They'll reinvest a little bit because they make so much money. They're always inside of the top 10 in attendance. They draw really well. Rockies fans are great and they deserve more, right? So what they'll do to keep those fans coming is they'll sign that Chris Bryant. They'll put his posters up everywhere. He'll have 181 plate appearances. Then they'll do nothing else, right? Like nothing else. There's not one other player in that lineup that you know you could say oh that was a great addition oh they're heading in the right direction the best bet for them is that Ezekiel Tovar takes that leap next year i'll say they're doing a great job with the farm system uh but when you are tied to some of these other players when you're signing a 31 year old or 30 year old at the time chris bryant to a long term deal how do you not do anything else to complement that they're they the most confusing team in major league baseball they're really confusing. What I will say is they just gave Daniel Bard a mini extension, right? They oh, gave, yeah. They gave Kyle Freeland an extension. They gave Antonio Sensatella an extension. They gave Ryan McMahon an extension. So Status they, quo. They commit a lot of money to guys that were currently there this past year. And last offseason, it was Chris Bryant. Obviously, they're not going to come anywhere close to competing for the National League West with this roster is currently constructed. So you need to outsource in the next couple of years, because this team will not be complete with what's coming through on the farm until 2025. I think 25 is when like a Gabriel Hughes will get there and, and have Veen, you know, get through some trials and tribulations in double a this year. And you've got a guy like Amador, who's likely going to open the year in high a, 
Um, yep. I, I think 2025 is is fair to rely on the guys that you have in the organization. But until then, if you want to compete, you have to outsource talent, and they did not do that. And, and that's why the Chris Bryant signing just kind of almost makes this offseason more disappointing, right? Because I understand the timeline, right? I, I understand it. Amador is going to be up there, like you said. Warming Bernabel is the guy that's going to maybe beat him there by a little bit. You're hoping Bean will be up there in a couple of years. Like all of those things. Romo. Drew Romo, yeah. another guy that you're hoping will be up there as well and, and be that answer at the catching position. So they've got a lot of really good prospects that are going to be up there and be a part of what they're doing in two or so years. So I can understand that Royals approach. But the reason why the Rockies make this, this group is – but the Royals have embraced their approach. The Rockies, I don't, I just don't know what they're doing. Why even pay a Chris Bryant at that point? It seems like they're just throwing money at certain points uh, just to do it when you could have made some other complimentary signings and, and kind of made this team a little bit more balanced and competitive. Uh, we'll see what else they do. Uh, they've obviously been pretty quiet. They did add, you know, column A and make, make a few other of the, of those moves in the past that again, it's like you're expecting it to, to turn into something, but it, doesn't they don't even trade the guys they don't flip them they don't do much um i do like that they locked up bard i guess but it's always interesting the guys that they decide to pay um and they still seem pretty far off so very unclear on the rockies plan i think this team is somehow a little bit worse this year than they were last year if that's possible um and i'd say in a nutshell that's disappointing Yes, it is disappointing. We have this conversation about some teams in the NBA. We have this conversation about the Indiana Pacers. We have this conversation about the Detroit Pistons. And we say that these teams are stuck because they were not overly terrible in order to tank and get back to back like top five picks, right? Uh, Detroit is kind of doing that right now with Cade and Ivy, but they're stuck. Like, how good is that team actually going to be? If you yeah. asked a Rockies fan, do you think that they would say, yeah, the Rockies are kind of stuck? I 100% think they would say that. And I will say it's hard to build uh, a team on the moon in Colorado. It's hard to convince pitchers to come pitch there. No pitcher will come. Like, no Jose Arreño was signed to a minor league free agent deal after he was outrighted and accepted free agency from Milwaukee. Like Correct. he signed that deal in May. It took him two months to get up to the big club from Albuquerque. So lean into the offensive side of things, right? I, I'm just surprised that they're not in on more bats. And I, I know they don't want to block guys, but there's not that many outfielders coming up. You have a Zach Veen who still clearly, you know, needs more time. And I, I think he, I have a 2025 ETA on him, uh, maybe 2024 at best at midseason. Um, and you've got a pretty, pretty crappy outfield, right? So, uh, when you're looking at it from that lens, like there were so many guys available in free agency, why not add a, a batter to you add a batter two to this team. And then, you know, maybe a, a reclamation project pitcher and all of a sudden with how well the Rockies play at home, this could be a team that can sneak around and, and stay relevant and hang around 500 by the end of the year. The national league, as Peter alluded to in the last episode, which is a good point. is like, it's pretty set now because the NL East is so loaded in the NL West. Like it's going to be a bunch of teams battling for maybe one, maybe two playoff spots, even with the expanded playoffs, which is pretty nuts. Um, but you can't really look at it that way. And I'm not asking the Rockies to mortgage the future, but clearly they have a willingness to spend. And if you were willing to spend on Brandon Nimmo, uh, ultimately I don't blame them for not signing him given what, what he got. Why are you not kicking the tires on a Michael Conforto or or some of these other players that, that could have been options? Um, even if you have to pay a little bit extra for a short-term deal, you can flip them for prospects later. I've just always found it very, very peculiar the way they approach things. And um, 
this offseason was 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 no different than than usual. Uh, it was no different than not you know trading Trevor Story when you could. Uh, it was no different than not offering a QO to John Gray and not even getting a draft pick for that guy after not trading him. Like they've just always beat to their own drum, and this offseason was no different. Yeah. And, you know, you can put yourself in a position to have guys that are on the roster surprise you. And I think that's what Baltimore did. And that's why they were flirting with the playoff spot, because there Correct. were guys on that roster that surprised them. Gunnar Henderson had a much better year in minor league baseball than I think they were expecting. But even guys at the big league level, Anthony Santander surprised the crap out he of He had him. that in the tank, though. He had it in the tank, and they believed in that. Cedric Mullins, the year prior, surprised them, and he worked off the, a strong 2021 with a good 2022. A guy like Jonathan Daza and a guy like Randall Grichuk and a guy like Elias you know what Diaz, you're getting. It's, you know it's, what you're getting. They're, they cannot surprise you. They cannot surprise you. And look at the bench right now, man. Brian <laughs> Servin, the backup catcher, he's not going to surprise you. He's a great story, but he won't give you what like you think could possibly be in the tank because frankly like i don't think there's much there he's about to turn 28 years old el Juris montero is he maybe gonna surprise you maybe. maybe that's the one maybe i'll get i'll give him but like Trejo and maybe. sean bouchard like they're not no. going to surprise you man so no. get somebody where you know they have untapped potential like a santander and they just don't have a santander on this team no they don't they uh don't. baltimore the team that does have Anthony Santan there. We were told by Mike Elias, and we're going to keep going to this, that they were going to significantly <laughs> escalate the payroll. And we were thinking, oh, shit, that might be Rodon. That might be Xander Bogarts. That might be Dansby Swanson. What does this mean? Are the Orioles going to lean into being contenders? Significantly escalating the payroll meant signing Kyle Gibson, Adam Frazier, and Michael Givens to major league deals. Kyle Dowdy, Josh Lester, Nomar Mazzara, Franchi Cordero to minor league deals, acquiring James McCann and paying 25% of what he's owed by the Mets. Was it 25%? Then, I thought they only I thought it was only 5 million or is that exactly 25%? I think it's like 25%. I I think I think the Mets are eating 75 to 80% of what money McCann has left and then claiming Daz Cameron off waivers from Detroit after he was DFA'd. <laughs> I mean, Alleged. this was such a letdown of an offseason for Baltimore, and I hope it doesn't affect the optimism in Baltimore because it's a really bright future and the farm is excellent. It's one of the best, if not the best in all of baseball, but I was hoping they were going to get those complimentary veteran pieces. Imagine Grayson Rodriguez and if D.L. Hall figures it out, Rodriguez and Hall working off of a Carlos mm -hmm. Rodon or a marquee mm -hmm. starting pitcher. And mm -hmm. now they got to work off Kyle Gibson, who had an ERA over five last year. Yeah, that's exactly. Um, I want to. I, I like what you alluded to here, which was the 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 duality of you can be excited about the Orioles' future and be disappointed in the offseason, right? I I believe in what Michael Elias is building. I think he's a brilliant baseball mind. Maybe the ownership had a change of heart and decided, hey, maybe maybe we don't spend money. There's there's obviously a lot going on behind closed doors that we don't know about. But when a GM or when an exec feels comfortable enough to come out and say, hey, we're going to significantly escalate the payroll, generally 
That's not something they're going to say unless they're very positive about right. it. So, you know, I know you, again, you don't want to spend just to spend, but to me, Adam Frazier was kind of spending just to spend, right? Like, I, I don't think that guy makes, they, don't, they didn't really need an Adam Frazier. Uh, I know he gives you versatility. He's proven to be a, a, a decently steady bat, uh, but that's a guy with no power going into a stadium that's even harder to hit in, I think, than, than the last one he was in, which wasn't easy to hit in, and he wasn't good there. Um, they have a million infield prospects that I think, I'd probably rather see at some point. I think Taron Vavra isn't that much, you know, off of what Adam Frazier is. I, and I think you could try Jordan Westbrook. You could have tried so many different guys um, that have some versatility as well. And Vavra can even play outfield. Uh, what disappoints me the most is, look, I, I didn't need them to sign a bat. They didn't need to sign a bat and block anybody. I'm fine with seeing what Stowers can do. And, and going back to the point of, you know, seeing who can surprise you. I think Stowers can surprise you. I think even Ramon Arias could surprise you to a degree. Austin Hayes already surprised us last year. You mentioned Santander. Like, I, I love what they have. Mateo, Mateo was a wonderful surprise. Yeah. Wonderful surprise. What what I don't get is when you look at the, the rotation, Kyle Bradish ain't going to surprise us, right? Dean Kramer, I think, did his best version of, of, yeah, of the surprise last year, the which, surprises. Was, yes. which was a 3-2-3 with really bad underlying stats. Tyler Wells, I think what we saw is what we can expect. That's a that's a good, you know, five in a rotation. And then Grayson Rodriguez is, is you know, the best pitching prospect in baseball. But when Kyle Gibson and his 5.05 ERA is the only guy you add to what is a, a good bullpen, a good bullpen, and a good offense – like this team was an arm or two away from me being able to justify them as if this team has their best outcome next year, they could they could sneak their way in. I, I just don't understand how a team that promised to significantly escalate the payroll can look at this rotation one through five and five, you know, the fifth guy being a guy that we're hoping breaks camp with them in Grayson Rodriguez and say, yeah. We got a shot in this division. You know, we got a shot to hang in there. Kyle Gibson, Kyle Bradish, Dean Kramer, Tyler Wells. Those are your four guaranteed big league arms at this point. That's a joke. That's How a- do you go into the season like that? That's an absolute joke, especially when the bullpen's already pretty much taken care of. I like the bullpen. I liked the Michael Given signing. That gives them some vet presence in the back end, too. Bautista's great. Dylan Tate and Press. Sinel Perez was disgusting. They took a rule five arm in Politi who could be solid. Yeah. Why not just sign a starting pitcher? There were so many of them. Hell, man, I would have taken Rich Hill at this yeah, point. I would have I would taken, have taken Rich Hill. I'm thinking even if you didn't want Rodon, why not sign two middling arms like a Heaney and a Tyler Anderson? You know what I mean? Like those two combined for half of what Rodon got or less than half, like a third of what Rodon got. If you added two guys that are threes instead of one guy that's a one, I feel just as good, but here's the thing, man. Those four that you mentioned, like Grayson Rodriguez has ace potential. Absolutely. Best pitching prospect in baseball, like you said. Gibson, Bradish, Kramer, Wells. On their best day, they are fours at the major league level. Yeah. Fours. On their best day. You've got a guy that could be a one and a bunch of fives. That doesn't win you anything i mean that does that's not a recipe for a 500 team and yes you can look at the offense as much as you want and say well this offense can flirt with the postseason that's half the game Mm -hmm. you're missing 50 percent of the game 
And I know, oh, bullpens are throwing more innings than ever before, right? Starting rotations are being used less and less. Guess what? Starting pitchers still account for right about two-thirds of the innings that your team will throw in any given season. They cannot run out starters for four innings and hand the bullpen five innings of pitching every Mm -hmm. single night. You cannot do that. You need better starting pitching And you've got Kyle Gibson, who, again, had a 5.05 last year. Bradish had a 4.9. Wells had a 4.2, and that felt like the best version of Tyler Wells you could possibly get. Bruce Zimmerman was fine for a minute, and then he sputtered mightily. Austin Voth was fine for a minute, then he started to sputter a little bit. I mean, there's just no confidence that this starting rotation can possibly instill in the Orioles fan base. And what's wild too, man, is is this was a pretty flooded starting pitching market, right? I mean, we're not saying that they had to go get Taiwan Walker for four years, seventy-two million. How about Syndergaard on his one-year deal that he signed with the Dodgers? How about how about somebody like a Jose Quintana who was two years, twenty-six million with the Mets, or even and maybe some of these guys wouldn't have signed with the Orioles, right? Like that's the thing that we often, you know. I think fans and and even people uh, like with with mics in front of us, like ourselves, you know, we'll, we'll omit the fact that you, both parties have to be interested in this yeah, in this uh, partnership, right? Place, but right? Like, yeah. I, you, I think you could have convinced one of the aforementioned names to join you, Tyler Anderson, who signed with the Angels for three years, thirty nine million. I think that the Orioles are heading in a much better direction. If I'm signing a three year deal, um, I'd rather sign with the Orioles instead of the team that. May not have Shohei Otani next year, and who knows, you know, how Mike Trout's going to continue to trend. I hope he's great, but, you know, you never know health-wise. Chris Bassett, three years, $63 million. He signs with Toronto. I mean, th- th- that's a team that I think they could have easily competed offer-wise. Kodai Sanga. Kodai Sanga, five-year, $75 million. Like, that's a pretty affordable deal. It's a little bit of a roll of the dice, but you could get it. You could get a frontline guy. guy uh, for that price, and I think that's a, a risk that the Orioles could have afforded to take. I ask you this, but also Ross Stripling could have been a guy that would have yeah. instantly upgraded them. Two years, $25 million with San Francisco. He was just there for the taking for anybody, essentially, at that point. Um, and But even Jamison Tyone, I think they could have afforded him, and I think he would have been fine for them. Um, my question for you is if they sign Nate Eovaldi. I feel good. Is this a, is this a bad offseason? Yeah, I, I think they've already cemented this as a bad offseason. So there's no way to to make it a passable offseason. If they sign Nate Eovaldi, they're not signing two arms though. Like I can't even give you this hypothetical. It's not happening. Because I'm say if they sign Nate Eovaldi and Michael Waka, like this is still a disappointing offseason to a degree. Yeah. I think they need to sign Eovaldi. Like, do, do you think that nobody wanted to go there? I, I just, I'm not buying that, right? Good, fun, young team that performed well. And you're going to a park where it's easy to pitch in, man. They just it, moved the walls it, back. It became very pitcher friendly. Yeah. After moving left. Good right. defense. One of the best young catching prospects we've seen in the game in decades that you get to work with. And, and now, I mean, the move just came, but a vet and James McCann behind him, which by the way, in a vacuum, I like that move. They're paying like five mil. Team. Of his 24 million. I know McCann's abilities are significantly diminished, but he is a good clubhouse guy who is a vet who knows how to play the game and is the perfect complement to Adley Rutschman, I think, as a backup. The, the word about James McCann when he was in Chicago was he is like the closest thing to a manager in waiting that we have in Major League Baseball. 
So having a manager in waiting behind Adley Rutschman is awesome. And I think it was Melanie Newman that tweeted this out. And I was like, yes, snaps. Come on, Melanie. Uh, It was no catcher in baseball will catch 162 games. You need a formidable backup. Like Adley Rutschman cannot sit there in a crouch for 162 games. He can play, you know, 140 games. He can DH a little bit, but the max he's going to catch is like 115, 120. And having James McCann for the other 40 to 45 games is perfect. It's perfect. Which is which is what blows my mind, man. Like you, you have a, a great catching situation too. A pitcher's park. You're telling me you couldn't convince Tyler Anderson to come there on a on on three years, forty million. Like you know how much better I feel about them. And then again, Heaney, as you mentioned, another great option. So frustrating, disappointing. That said, again, this is one of those where you can separate it. I'm still really excited about their future. I still like some of the small moves they made. But this is a team that could have really, really ignited the fan base. And they might make a trade, right? I I still think them and the Marlins are a match made in heaven. And that would help. Uh, But you could have really got the fan base excited with a couple not that expensive starting pitching additions. And things would be, you know, pretty optimistic. But when you when you look at that rotation going into next year, you can only be so excited if you're if you're an Orioles fan. I think I'm really excited to see what they're going to do. I'm really excited to see their lineup in action and and all of their individual players who are very very fun. But in terms of competing, it, it it's hard to say that they could build on last year with that rotation as it stands. What was the deal? Do you remember the exact deal that we put together for Pablo Lopez to get him to Baltimore? It was like um was it i'm going so it's funny too i'm going on locked on orioles um my 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 friend connor newcomb who does a great job with that podcast and and i'm going to go on there to 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 kind of workshop some trades and what's hilarious is orioles fans do not want to part with any of their prospects not even like jordan westberg it's wild to me i think it's it's what happens when, you know, you've been beat down for so long and you have to hold on to these prox- prospects because you get excited about them because it's the only way you can get excited for the future. Uh, but I think the trade was we did Norby. Was it Norby? And, it was and Stowers, Stowers. Stowers and Norby. For Pablo? Maybe it like Stowers, a- Norby, and, and, and a third piece, like a, a decent lower-level third piece. Like that doesn't impact them at all. At all. And they they get much, much better. Uh, in the pitching department doesn't impact them really at all offensively. Um, no brainer for them. No brainer. All right. The Boston Red Sox in their division, the Orioles finished better than the Red Sox. Seems like the Red Sox might be destined for the seller again. Uh, <laughs> here's what happened for the Boston Red Sox in the last two months. They have signed Chris Martin, Kenley Jansen, Masataka Yoshida, Nico Goodrum, Narciso Crook, Joely Rodriguez, They DFA Jeter Downs, and they released Eric Hosmer. That's the Boston Red Sox offseason. Justin Turner? Did we mention Justin Turner? Oh, no, not Justin Turner. I don't think that's official yet. Didn't show up on the transaction pay, but, but, um, yeah, Justin Turner. So Turner, Yoshida, Jansen, Martin were the four big additions. Kenley Jansen, they got a closer. Chris Martin, they got a setup guy. Masataka Yoshida, they got a bat. Justin Turner, they got a bat. You lose Xander Bogarts. You're losing Nate Uvalde. Obviously, Rafi Devers is having issues trusting the direction of the organization. They're going to lose Waka after last year. Yep. Who had a good year. Um, kinda, I was going to sleep over that one, but. I mean, this just kind of feels like an offseason from hell, and they're, and they're trying to 
you know, cauterize the wound with Kenley and Yoshida. Yeah, it's it's crazy because I love the Yoshida signing. And yeah. I don't even hate the Kenley signing if you paid your other guys, right? Um, if you kept Diavaldi and like, like if it comes down to whether you pay Kenley or pay Yavaldi, I'd way rather have Yavaldi. I, I know that you look at the surface level stats are like, oh, 41 saves for Kenley in a 3380 RA. If you talk to anybody on the Braves beat, Kenley didn't have the trust of the Atlanta Braves down the stretch of the season and, and for a lot of stretches of the season to to really be that that guy. And there was conversations like, is this guy going to be, you know, our, our closer for us on the big stage? Is this guy going to be someone we can trust? And like a 3-3 ERA for for a closer is not the best. I don't I really don't know how he had 41 saves, to be honest. And uh you look at his numbers in high leverage, they weren't very good. Um, and they could pay him a lot of money. I like the Chris Martin signing, but if you're combining Chris Martin and Kenley Jansen, like those guys are not going to be able to make up for a gaping hole in your rotation. And right now the rotation looks like Chris Sale, who should be healthy and good to go, you know, fluky finger injury. I I think he's, he looked really good when we started to see him come back from that injury. Uh, Nick Pavetta, who is not good. Garrett Whitlock, who was banged up and hasn't really proven that he can pitch every fifth day for, you know, five plus innings. James Paxson, who hasn't pitched in years. And then Brian Bayo, who I'm very high on. And I thought showed some really good things down the stretch. He's been working with Pedro. I think Bayo is going to be scary next year, but really the only two guys I trust are Chris Sale, who has been, you know, at the end of the day, you have your reservations about his health, yeah. and Brian Bayo, who is basically a rookie. That's it. That's it. And the, to make those additions to the bullpen as if you're almost like close to competing it is really the bizarre part. I almost feel like the Red Sox have a false identity. Right, like the Kenley and Chris Martin signings to me are are the kind of moves that you make if you're on the cusp of contending. Um, but at the same time, then letting your other guys walk, it I almost feel like they're having an identity crisis. Is, is that like does that resonate with you, Jack? Like I, I feel like they don't know who they are and what they're going to be, and I think they're about to get slapped in the face because they don't have a single strength. They don't have, like the offense is 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 solid. I, I like Yoshida, I really do. Justin Turner had a phenomenal second half. If you look at the numbers and say, oh, he's slowing down. I actually don't think he's slowing down. I think he's going to be pretty good for them, especially playing mostly DH in first base. Tristan Koss is one of my favorite offensive prospects in baseball. The offense is still going to be worse than it was, right? Like it's going to be worse. Um, you, you subtracted Xander Bogarts. It's not going to be what it was. Uh, you're hoping that Kike Hernandez can, can be back to what he was in that magical year for you. You're hoping Trevor Story can hold down shortstop. One of the guys that has had one of the most diminished arms in the game is going to have to hold you down at shortstop. I just don't know what they're expecting this year. A middle infield of Christian Arroyo and Trevor Story is brutal. And the last thing I'll say on this is, why are you paying Story $120 million a year ago? Why are you paying even Yoshida at this point? Why are you paying the two back-end relievers if you weren't planning on paying Xander Bogarts? And I know they were... Planning on paying him, but I feel like, and I put quotes up for those just listening. To me, the Red Sox have no sense of reality. I think they thought that they were going to get Xander Bogarts to sign for 180 million or whatever the hell it was, and they're making all these moves, living in this you know fairy tale land where everything else is going to be okay. But realistically, if they never signed Trevor Story, they could have put that money on top of whatever their best offer was to Xander and maybe kept him. But instead, you're left with. 
a battered story, uh, a trial in Yoshida, who I like still, I will say, and Justin Turner and a couple old back-end guys. Like, all that money adds up, and you probably could have just kept your superstars, Xander Bogarts, and you probably could have put that towards a Rafi Devers, and now it looks like both may be gone. I don't know how you can look at this lineup and the bench and see a team that can possibly compete this coming year. I I cannot fathom looking at an opening day lineup for the Boston Red Sox and thinking, yeah, this team can make some noise. Yoshida, you mentioned a trial. He's 30. Like he's 29 and a half. He'll be on the back end of 29 years old on opening day. That's a 30-year-old trial that's just starting. Yoshida is the leadoff guy. Story, it's short. You already mentioned the problems there. Devers, great, sure thing. Justin Turner, 38 years old. Alex Verdugo has not become the guy that we were expecting him to become. He's Kike fine. Hern- yeah, he's fine. Kike Hernandez is fine. He was hurt a lot last year. Casas, you really like, but again, he's so trial. young. This is a trial. Kristen Arroyo, he should not be starting on an opening great, game lineup. Great utility guy. Great utility guy. Should not be starting. And then the catching tandem right now is Reese McGuire and Connor Wong. That might be the worst catching tandem in all of baseball. I mean, you it's don't feel good. And the and the projected bench by roster resource on fan graphs right now is Wong, Bobby Dahlbeck, and Manuel Valdez, who they got in the Christian Vasquez trade, like a 24-year-old, and Rob Refsnyder. I'm Refsnyder, great platoon guy. Yeah, but like, <laughs> dude... This team does not say, oh, yeah, it's the Boston Red Sox. This team from opening day 2022 lacks Xander Bogarts. They lack J.D. Martinez. I mean, hell, you want to go back to 2019? They lack Mookie Betts. Christian Vasquez. Christian Vasquez. Like We've had so many conversations about the Red Sox, but this is just so frustrating because you cannot, as a Red Sox fan, look at this lineup and try and spin this your way. It is impossible no. to spin this in a positive way. It, it, I think it literally is impossible. And again, if they were, if they fully tore it down, I'd be like, okay, I, I don't agree with it. You're the Boston Red Sox. You should never do that. But at least yeah. they have a direction. To me, there's no direction. Is, we talk about offseason stuck. The, yeah. the contracts that they have commit themselves to this year and last year with Story, they are Purgatory. officially stuck. Purgatory. Yeah. And that's what made the story signing so head scratching. You could go back to the old episodes where I'm like, this team is still trying to figure out how to pay Xander Bogarts. To me, when they signed story, it almost made me more confident that they would sign Bogarts because I'm like, oh, they must have no concerns then. Right. Like I'm not committing $120 million to a, to a guy that's been inconsistent and banged up unless I know I'm signing my core guys the and I'm extending things, my core yeah. guys. Or if I'm afraid that I'm not going to keep my guys. I'm not signing story. I'm waiting till those guys leave and and I'm putting, you know, I'm spending my money as wisely as I can. Now you took one, a half a step forward and a full step back and you're now in a worse position than you were before. And like you said, now you have a 30-year-old story for several more years. You have a 30-year-old Yoshida for several years that you're hoping is going to pan out. And then you got Justin Turner for two, and we'll see what they do. I mean, obviously, Chris Sale is, is locked up for a while. You can't blame them for that contract. That was a, it was a good extension at the time. But to me, you have a lot of like eh, deals, and then not an elite farm system, not much direction. And that this team, I think, is one of the best examples of stuck 
you're going to find. And now they got a really tough decision to make is to whether you trade Rafi Devers because they get nothing for Bogarts besides the pick. They got nothing for Mookie Betts besides a, a, a trade that was heavily, heavily leveraged against them because they waited so long. And now they're going to trade Devers at near the bottom of his value. They'll still get a couple of decent prospects, but it'll be like the Manny Machado deal with the Orioles. It'll be whatever they can possibly get. They're left in a position here, and I bet they—I bet they don't even trade Devers. I bet they recoup the pick and call it a day when they and say we tried our best to sign him, we tried our best to extend him. Yeah. The best—the last thing I want to say on this is, you know, there was a story written up. I don't remember if it was Heyman or somebody else about kind of just Heim Bloom. It might have been Rosenthal being in an airport when the reality set in that that he wasn't going to be able to retain Xander Bogarts, and he was like floored. I don't understand what alternate reality that this Boston front office is living in. I don't understand what they were expecting, what they think, how they thought this was going to transpire. Because look, I I feel like we kind of saw this coming and you and I are not rocket scientists. I think a lot of people saw this coming. We're not even plugged into the Boston Red Sox and we saw this coming. And somehow things unfolded in a way that they are shocked disappointed and unsure about and here they are making these moves like signing a Justin Turner as if they're going to go into next year and have a shot this team let me put myself on record and barring some massive move this team has no shot and you can put you can put me on record saying that this team has no shot there's no strength to this team the lineups all right that's their strength that was kind of a bar all right, we got two teams left. We've got the Giants and the Marlins. I want to talk about San Francisco first because I think this is really quick. Um, because San this Francisco, is pity, this is a pity, pit, more of a pity party. I, I feel for San Francisco. Yeah, I'm not mad I at feel it. for San Francisco because they had their deal with Arson Judge, and then the Yankees matched it, and that then happens. they had their deal with Carlos Correa, and then it fell through right before they had the introductory press conference. So Correct. all in all, San Francisco comes away with. Resigning Jock Peterson, signing Mitch Haniger, Ross Stripling, Sean Manaya, Michael Conforto, Taylor Rogers. They acquired Blake Sable in the Rule 5 draft. This team mm-hmm. got better. They just didn't get Aaron Judge or Carlos Correa. Yeah. And that's why this is a failure of an offseason, I think, for Farhan Zaidi. But this puts them in even better position for a Juan Soto. Correct. And so disappointing it has a different definition with the Giants. And I've been hard on Farhan Zaidi and some of the moves that, the, that he in the Giants front office has made. I don't think you can you can give them a hard time for this offseason, no. right? They they put they did everything they could for Judge. And we knew it was going to be difficult to, to pry him away. They knew it was going to be difficult to pry him away. And I think they gave it a good shot. I, I do believe that he genuinely considered it. Then they pivot to Correa and they get the deal done, right? It, at least it seemed like it. And then a major red flag comes up in 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 the medicals. And Peter and I have a little bit of a difference in opinion there. You know, he thinks that they got cold feet. I legitimately think that there was an injury with the medicals, or else he'd be a med already right now. Correct. Um. Correct. So, you know, I and I just yeah, that, that's where I'm at on that one. Though I, I understand what where Peter's coming from, and I think it's a hybrid of the two. Is what we kind of talked about. Is like you know, it's a huge investment. It's scary, and if if it's a smaller red flag, it becomes much more accentuated because it's a 13 year deal. What I'll say though is both of those things were kind of out of their control. They were. And what have they done since? You know, tried to pivot and make other 
other moves and other additions. And because they were all in on judge and all in on Correa, they missed out on, on some other guys. And, you know, maybe they should have known that judge was a long shot. Maybe they should have been, you know, pushing in other areas and maybe not, you know, putting all their eggs in, in one basket and then all their eggs in another basket. Uh, but that said, you know, they've pivoted and made some moves that, that I don't hate. So I say it's disappointing because of the, what it could have been. And, and I feel for giants fans uh, with the way things have unfolded Jack, but I wouldn't say from a front office standpoint that they, it was like malpractice or anything like that. Like, I don't think they had a poor decision-making off season. I think they got overzealous, put all their eggs in one basket and it could have worked out great. Unfortunately it didn't. If Correa doesn't have the, the red flag, we're, we're not even talking about them as having a poor off season. We were just talking about how, you know, they had a really good shot here. So I would say unfortunate more than disappointing. I think we could be having a conversation in two years that San Francisco got bailed out this yeah. offseason. Uh, according to John Heyman, on December 16th, Manny Machado is expected to opt out after oh, the season. Guaranteed opt out. So Manny Machado is on the table. Shohei Otani's on the table. And Not a year after that, Juan Soto is on the table. So put me on record just like how you were put on record with the Boston Red Sox put me on record here by the end of the 2024 season before 2025 opening day first pitch is fired the San Francisco Giants will have one of Manny Machado Shohei Otani Shohei Otani or Juan Soto on their roster and I what about Rafi Devers Devers is another option but I'm saying those three man I mean they're going to go after the biggest of fishes after they missed out on both Judge and Correa, they are in a position to spend an absurd amount of money, and they're going to do it. I would love if they got Otani. And spend more. Honestly, they could spend even more because, yes, they they ink Hanniger, um, and, and I like the Hanniger signing a lot, and, and he's going to be good, I think, for several years for them. But they're going to have Crawford off the books not long from now. Um, they're going to have some of their other guys coming off the books you know, here and there. That, that adds up. Um, and, and we know that they've just got an incredible knack for building a bullpen. Uh, Logan Webb, they have their ace. I like some of the bounce back guys they signed here. Like this team, they were able to piece it together. The Giants should never be a last place team. No. And they looked like they were going to be a last place team. I think they've done enough to to put themselves ahead of, you know, the Rockies and, you know, some of these other teams. Uh, you know, I think the D-backs could, could you know, be a very fascinating team. Yeah, with but I think Moreno they put now, yeah. They've put themselves right there. And I know that's disappointing to hear for Giants fans because this is a team that's been a dynasty in our lifetime and you and I are not very old. But this is a team that is competitive enough. You know, the lineup is not great. But given what happened to them to whiff on two superstars, put all your eggs in that basket, to be able to pivot and sign Conforto, who could bounce back and be a piece for you or you flip them. And then also be able to go get a Hanager, you know, be able to go get some of the arms that they got that now this rotation is kind of pieced together. And I do have confidence that at least one of these guys will will kind of put it together with them on another level of Alex, you know, of, of some of the guys that they were able to get. And I'm interested to see how Manaya does for them. I'm interested to see how Alex Wood bounces back. Interested to see if Ross Stripling can can build on what he did. I thought Alex Cobb showed some great flashes last year. And, and Webb is, is, is an ace. I feel better about this rotation than, you know, maybe a lot of the other ones that we talked about. And the bullpen's great. And they've got Descofani as that kind of alternate, you know, rotation guy as well. Go through it this year. You buy yourself another year. And then I, if they get that superstar next year, Jack, like you said, this team could be on their way. And, and a few of their prospects might start to make their way up as well. 
you know how I feel about Casey Schmidt. I think he's going to be their opening day third baseman next year. I think he gets called up at some point this year and should be a nice little piece for them. So if they go get another piece, this team could be pretty fun pretty soon. Can you just close your eyes and think about a front three to open 2024 of Otani, Webb, and Kyle Harrison? Stupid. That's unreal. That's unreal. Oh, they, I think they're going to, they might, they might just, just offer him like equity in the giants and half a billion dollars to, to play for them. Equity um, and, and Oracle. And what, <laughs> get him a share, say, get him yeah. shares of Oracle. <laughs> like they saved themselves that opportunity to try and do it. And Otani gets to stay on the West coast. Like we, it, it makes a lot of sense. We never talked about this. Do you think Shohei's fucked with the FTX thing? Because he was like FTX's MLB spokesperson. The great Was he really? Otani. No, I don't think yeah. so. All those MLB TV so. ads, like I bet Otani was just paid a bag from Brent mm-hmm. from Bankman Freed for the FTX stuff and like never ventured into it. I, I I don't think so. I don't think he went Tom Brady mode on that one. I don't I don't I don't see I don't see Otani going all in on the on the crypto. Did um, Giselle see the FTX thing coming? We got to revisit that, man. Yeah, Maybe that's no, why there, she there's, got there's out. conspiracy theories swirling on that one. Oh, Whether that that kind of was 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 a contributor there. Um, so I, looking at this team, man, like, yeah, of course, disappointing. But I would say they're the least disappointing of all the ones we talked about because out of their control, um, I would say most disappointing in terms of what it could have been and what happened based on circumstances. But if I'm a fan in terms of frustration level in my front office, I'm the least frustrated with the Giants yes. because yes. I I think they got dealt a really shitty hand this offseason. And like you said, they have a chance to turn it into something great. If they don't next year, then we can say that, that was the biggest disappointment of the last two years offseason wise if they don't do anything next year. But I think they get their superstar, too. Yeah, we'll see how frustrated you are with the Miami Marlins to wrap. Uh-huh. And I, just, I just feel like the Marlins are running a different race than everybody else because we talk about the different. You think races. they're running a race? <laughs> they might just be waving the white flag before the race starts. They're um, they're like deep they got in the an invite to run the marathon. They're like, yeah, no, I'm good. I'll just chill. No, um, it, they're, yeah, they're they're watching from the sidelines, man. I mean, I look at the Reds and I see them sign Will Myers to what one year, nine and a half, and I'm like, okay, great deal for the Cincinnati Reds. Why can't the Marlins do that? Oh, because they've got whatever money they have available for the payroll wrapped up in Avi Garcia and Jorge Soler. So their offseason since November 1 has been trading Eliezer Hernandez and Jeff Brigham to the Mets. Jake Mangum was the main return. A-plus. A-plus deal. <laughs> I'm in uh, on that one. Claiming Nick Enright in a Rule 5 draft, acquiring Xavier Edwards and JT Shagwa from Tampa Bay in a roster crunch before the 40-man deadline. And then they signed Chichi Gonzalez, shout out the state of Florida, to a minor league deal. I mean, like this team is just miserable, dude. Yeah, I'm they blow. Sorry. They blow. And it's funny. Again, this is a team where I like the smaller moves they made, right? I like getting a Xavier Edwards uh, as as see what he can do. Um, low cost addition for them. Um, I, I like getting Eliezer out of town and getting a potential fourth outfielder there uh, in Mangum, who's a, a wizard defensively. I, I like the subtle moves, but. This team needs more than that, right? Like this team is far That's offensively thing. from being good. But they don't suck. Like they have no, the unanimous no. Cy Young winner. They don't Brother, suck. So if go- you look at the World Series odds, they're far from last. 
they're I think they're like 20th. Yeah, and this good. is a team that offensively it's it's a joke. It's it's it, it's a joke. They have a new manager like they should be last. But the pitching is so good or has the potential to be so good that it's not last, right? And that's the craziest part. Like there you talk about having a team where players can surprise you rotationally. Sandy Alcantara is is arguably the best pitcher in baseball, right? Just won the Cy Young and and just eats innings. Pablo Lopez is a bona fide middle of the rotation arm. Jesus Lazardo was spectacular in the second half of the season. Gave you 100 innings of 3-3-2 ERA. Trevor Rogers had a really rough year. But at 25 years old, he was a 24-year-old last year, I'm willing to bet he bounces back. A lot of the underlying metrics look good. He's a couple adjustments away. He showed flashes. I think he's fine. Edward Cabrera as a rookie had a 301 ERA in 71 and two-thirds he's innings. Incredible. By the way, incredible. they have a top three pitching prospect in baseball in Yuri Perez, who I think you can make a legitimate cases. Uh, you know, right there is 1A, 1B with, with Grayson Rodriguez with what this wonderkin has done. Um it sucks that Max Meyer is on the shelf, but then they've got guys like Jake Eater and other top prospects that have performed really well. Like this team has unbelievable pitching depth and they haven't done a thing. Why do you think they haven't done a thing, Jack? Well, I'll get to the free agent stuff because I actually have like some, I can corroborate some of, I think the reports that have been out around the Marlins and, and how they've been approaching free agency. And I, I have, uh, I, I have the green light to speak on a couple of those things, but when it comes to, to trades, like, is it possible that Kim Ang is afraid to mess up? Like, is that is that a feasible? Like, I've I've seen that floated. I think Craig Mish has alluded to that in the past. Like, do we have a a young general manager that is afraid to 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 maybe take a, a swing for the fences? Like, do you, why haven't the Marlins made a trade? Why have they not traded from their pitching surplus to answer what is a massive question around this lineup yeah so i'm gonna try my best to do this as quickly as possible um the miami marlins traded dh Giancarlo stanton and cash to the yankees for starling castro jorge guzman and jose devers i'm okay now, with that trade now i go to christian yelich um i can tell you all you don't need to pull him up i can okay. tell you all so yelich what was the return for yelich disaster it was Monte Harrison, Lewis Brinson, Jordan Yamamoto, Isan Diaz. And then how about the return for JT Realmuto? Sixto Sanchez, Jorge Alfaro, and uh, Will Stewart. That is so hard as an organization. And I know that it wasn't Kim, but that's so hard as an organization to justify trading valuable veteran pieces if you can fuck up like that. Um, I think the Pirates have shown, um, you know, a, a reluctance to move some of their guys that are performing so well. Yeah. Think about what happened in the Archer deal when they went after Chris Archer. I mean, that is one of the worst trades in, in baseball, baseball history. history. Like, you feel the ripple from those fuck-ups for years. And yeah. I think that Kim is looking at that saying, oh my God, not too long ago, like our 20 year old fans, our 18 year old fans remember going to the ballpark to go to see Giancarlo Stanton, Mike Stanton, Christian Yelich, and JT Real Muto. And here we are with this shit offense yeah. and nothing to show for those transactions. And, and that's, that's the thing, man. We're talking about Kim Ang who, deserved an opportunity far before she got it right she yes. was overqualified for the job 
and then got thrown into this kind of in an unfair type of situation where Jeter was controlling things at the top. And then all of a sudden now they say, okay, Kim, now it's your job. Now, 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 now do what you want. And look, if Kim messes up, if Kim makes a bad trade, her job security goes from here to way down here, right? But if she can try to make those moves between the margins and hide behind the cheap ownership and say, hey, well, we won 75 games this year with a you know, first-time manager. Look at the rotation we have. You know, Look at some of the smaller moves I made. I went out and picked up Xavier Edwards, and that guy had you know two war for us last year. I yeah. went out and yeah. – you know made this quiet move here and you know this guy's been performing i trusted brian de la cruz and look he's a regular for us like you can hide behind those things but here's the reality of it and i get it's easier for me to say go roll the dice when you're not betting gambling your money or your job but look at what the sandy alcantara look at what the marcelo ozuna trade did for the marlins yeah they got sandy alcantara zach gallon and and a couple other pieces dan castano and then flipped him for Jazz. So Jazz Chisholm and Sandy Alcantara, as well as Magnera Sierra, who whatever, and Dan Castano was a depth arm for them. But the, but the two, two bases of the franchise, your two Correct. bases of the franchise came from a deal in which you gave up a guy that, yes, has a couple of DUIs on his book and has beaten the shit out of his significant other. Like, you traded a shit human being for the two faces of the franchise. You have to look at your positive moves. But here's the thing about baseball. It's a sport rooted in failure. And I'm talking mm-hmm. on the field, right? The, the common saying is the bet an all-star will fail seven of 10 times. It's yep. also rooted in failure in the front office. You remember the travesty more than you remember yep. the success. Like White Sox fans remember trading a young Fernando Tatis Jr. and Correct. another reliever for James Shields. They don't remember the mastery that was the Tim Anderson contract. Correct. Like, but it, and we make fun of AJ Prower though, but like, look at the Padres, they're competitive. And I know he gets, a, he gets a lot of money behind him. He's made some mistakes. He's hit some home runs. Um, I think when you're a team like the Marlins, you, you, you are much more risk averse because you can't squander your assets, right? You only have so many assets, but you have to look in the mirror at this point and say, what kind of team are we? I understand that that the Phillies are now world series contenders. The Mets are world series contenders. And, and this division is tough. This division is very tough, but what's the goal here? If you're the Miami Marlins, you talk about stuck. If if your goal is not to win in the next couple of years, and the Marlins live in an alternate reality too. I think they really struggle to realize. Kim Ang came out and said, Avi Garcia has had multiple 30 home run seasons. He's never hit 30 home runs. That's embarrassing. Yeah. Um, th- you know, th- they go out and say, oh, we're, we're expecting Soler to bounce back. I'm hoping Solaire bounces back. I'm not expecting Solaire to bounce back. Jazz Chisholm, he's a superstar, right? He's, he could be that face of the fr- The guy has barely stayed healthy, right? You have a lot of assumptions built in here by the Marlins. Miguel Rojas, he, his wrist was bothering him. He's going to bounce back. Jacob Stallings, that was a trade that looks really bad on them now. And I think that has has resulted in some, some I would say, fear of you know a little bit of being gun shy that Jacob Stallings trade didn't go well. You have to try. And if not, then don't, just go trade Sandy. Like start over and burn it down if you're not going to try. Because at this point, what are we doing? You're not going to sign free agents. And I think that's become incredibly clear. Not that they haven't tried that. I understand that it's half-hearted efforts, but they offered, and I know you're not going to get a Brayu. A lot of teams weren't willing to go for the third year. The Marlins did meet with him. They did try. They offered him a two-year deal that was on par with a lot of other teams and what they offered. The Marlins offered, and I can confirm this too, they offered Brandon Drury $2 million more to, to play for them after state taxes probably would have made 4 million more given that he went to California. Yeah. So yeah. 
they they tried. They offered Turner the same amount, if not marginally more. I can, can definitely confirm that one too. So guys don't want to play there, right? You got to make some trades because you're not going to sign top-end talent to come there. And those guys aren't even top-end talent. Those guys are, are mid-level talent that don't want to sign there. So you got to make the trade. You got to try. I ask you this to wrap up. Is there a scenario where this is a successful offseason for the Marlins? Um, Craig Mish says that they're still active, and I believe that, right? Craig Mish says they, they're still trying to make a signing. So let's say they sign Trey Mancini, right? Let's say they try they sign Trey Mancini or Gene Segura, and then they trade Pablo Lopez for some for maybe the deal that we talked about with the Orioles. What is this offseason then? I think that's a success. Like, I think a success is still on the table. That's the craziest part. The barometer for success for the Miami Marlins is just so ridiculously low. So low. And you could trade a Pablo Lopez. You could trade to Trevor Rogers. And would it surprise you if this rotation's top five in the game in the RA no, by the end? Of the don't year? feel it if you trade no. a Pablo or a Rogers. You could argue that those are the the two least valuable guys in your rotation right now. You know what's the funniest part? Oh, go ahead. No, I, I was just gonna say I'm in love with Edward Cabrera, and I know we're both in love with Jesus Lozardo. Yes. And and both makeup wise off the charts, you you, you hear Mel Stoudemire talk about both of them, and and he says Edward has a lot of Sandy in him, and and you can see it with the freak changeup, right? And Lizardo, we've had him on the show, yeah, salt to the earth dude, hard worker, has been through way more than the average twenty five year old big leaguer, and and really showed some. And great oh, things. by the so, way, he's a lefty that throws a hundred. Yes, correct, correct. With with one of the best curveballs in the game, yeah. um, it's about health for those guys. But and then you have Yuri waiting in the wings, who could be a top thirty starter by midseason if if he comes up and reaches his potential. That's feasible. Correct. The funniest part that I want to end on is that two of the teams that we talked about could just get together on the fucking phone and salvage both of their miserable off seasons, <laughs> and that's the Orioles and the Marlins. And they could do it. They could do it if they make that trade that we discussed. I. I would say the Marlins offseason is still slightly disappointing, but at least they 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 did something. And that is how low the bar is for these freaking Miami Marlins, man. I, like that's how low the damn bar is. I will say credit to them. I like the hiring. Everything, everything, you know, Skip. around yeah. their new manager around Skip, it seems to be awesome. The staff being built around, I think, is perfect for this young team. John Jay, uh, who was it, Rod Barajas? Like, I like a lot of the guys, you know, very recently departed from the game, still involved. I think can be really good help to this offense and, and to a lot of these young position players. But they got a lot to figure out and they can fix it. But there seems to be a reluctance there. I think they make a trade. I still do. And I don't think it's for a center fielder. Um, and I'm interested to see what kind of move they make. I think the center field market is way too thin and way too pricey. They need to pivot and just get the best bat they possibly can. If they get an impact bat with control, like a Dalton Varsho type, I know he's a center fielder, but I'm just saying like that type of player, Yeah, this could be a salvageable offseason. I don't have much faith though, Jack. No, you shouldn't. Uh, what I will say is if they don't, make that move with Baltimore, I think Brian Reynolds should absolutely be a Miami Marlin. I think, you think that, they should pay the King's ransom. I nobody's going to pay the King's ransom. That's the thing. I, I think that the B level package that the Marlins put together 
when the Pirates are demanding an A-level package will be enough because I don't think the Pirates want to hold on to Brian Reynolds. And this is zero, like, you know, validity. There's zero inside information. Posturing. posturing. I think it's posturing because what does Brian Reynolds do to fit into this team? In the next two years. He's not extending. He's he's not not extending. He's not extending. He's probably going to be in left, not in center on opening day. Like you're going to get far more than the comp pick and like learn from some of these teams that, that, that made that mistake. Dude, I, I think the Pirates, like, if they got young starting pitching, they're totally fine running out G1 Bay on opening day in center field instead of Brian Reynolds. They got plenty of time, man. So much plenty. time. And they're heading in a great direction. Um, Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. This offense, John Birdie, Jazz Chisholm, Garrett Cooper, Avi Garcia, Joey Wendell, Jorge Soler, Brian De La Cruz, Jacob Stallings, Miguel Rojas, with a bench of Charles LeBlanc, Jose, or Jesus Sanchez, Jordan Groshans, Nick Fortes, and potentially Xavier Edwards is a bottom what offense in baseball? Bottom one. That's the worst offense in baseball. No, you're wrong. Oakland A's. Uh, bottom two. Bottom, really? Bottom two. I think uh, if not two, then three. I think Detroit Nationals. Is- Nationals. Mm, dude, I mean, with, with the young pieces that they got right now, I, I mean, that's a bad, bad lineup. Detroit is another team that could sniff it. There you go. To then, be very conservative, bottom then, five. They're a bottom five line. And, and then and then last question. Sandy Alcantara, Pablo Lopez, Jesus Lizardo, Edward Cabrera, Trevor Rogers, Yuri Perez, uh, Jake Eater, potentially Sixto Sanchez, hearing that he actually looks really good right now and healthy, which is nice to hear, um, is a top what rotation in baseball if, if things go as, as, as you hope conservative top 10 i think it could be top five i think we could be looking at a top five rotation in baseball and a bottom five lineup in baseball so this lineup if it's mediocre this team could be competitive no one's at no one's saying playoffs just win 75 to 80 games and just give these poor fans whoever the hell is left something to be happy about that's all it takes that's all it really takes the way we're going to end it uh arm and i will be back tomorrow peter's flying home from california or i guess he's flying from home to his other home in new york i think he's doing a new year's thing first might be going to vegas is he going to vegas i might i might have made that up that might have been a different holiday I, let's hope he peter's going to vegas for vegas i or vegas for new year's not he's sure gotta cle- he got he's got to cleanse the nfl like cold streak that he's on right now he's got to go like- he's got to get yeah he's got to go straight there I, yeah, he, I, I don't got to go road. talk to the va- he's got to go talk to the gods. It's like going yeah. it's like following the yellow brick road, right? Going to talk look, to the wizard of us. Look, I will say one, the last thing I want to say on Peter is he got a lot of hate on New- on Christmas That's Eve from so psychopaths for losing. If you have tailed Peter for the last year, you will be you will have profit. You will have money. If you wager your money based on somebody else's picks you should accept the repercussions there. And I think I would rather put bet with Peter's picks than my own. I will put that out there. But when Peter loses, I'm not texting him like, fuck you, dude. Like just wanted to put that out there. I know no one that listens to this podcast is going to be mean to Peter because they listen to us willingly, but so ridiculous that that's a thing. Can I also say something real quick? The reason that I don't venture into the whole gambling space is because it's fucking gambling. Like, you can know sports all you want. You can do as much homework as you want. And I know Peter does more gambling homework 
than like anybody that I've ever interacted with. Like this guy gets up every morning. He sets an alarm to look at what to gamble on. Like that is better than everybody else that gambles because they're just like, he gives oh, the I picks like for free. Yeah. He gives picks for free. Um, it's fucking gambling. Like we yeah. know so much about baseball, but you're still going to lose bets. Like I yeah. guarantee you, I know more than you about a certain matchup on a certain day in major league baseball than people that are going to win. Like the people that win bets in major league baseball, chances are 95 to 99% of them don't know more about that matchup on that day than any of us three. It's fucking gambling. Don't yeah. give anybody hate. Please. Yes. Okay. Talk to you guys tomorrow.